everyone. You're listening to The Talent Revolution, where we believe that focusing on quality over volume and being different, not better, is the right way to hire the best humans and build stronger teams. To help you do this, I go behind the scenes with forward-thinking recruiters, employer branding experts, and people leaders that are making a huge difference to their organizations. Today on The Talent Revolution, we're chatting with Chantal Cassin, Talent Acquisition Manager at Propeller Aero. Chantal, thank you so much for joining us and, and thanks for your time today. Would be great if you could just give the audience a bit of a brief introduction into yourself and to the company, and then we can dive in and start learning some lessons from you. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm the talent acquisition manager at Propeller. We are a software company based out of Sydney. We have offices in Sydney, Denver, teams in Amsterdam, in Manila, and soon to be in Vietnam as well. Basically, what we have is a software platform that allows our customers to track Earthworks in real time on their work sites. Our customers are in construction, mining, waste management, aggregates. We're pretty young, so we've been around for near on seven years now, but growing really quickly. And it's been super exciting to be a part of the journey for the past nearly two years. Amazing. Cool. And so like you've got a fairly small talent acquisition team right now, right? Can you kind of give us some some context into what what that looks like? Yeah, we do. So we're a team of three and we have a head of department. So we've got myself and two colleagues, one here in Sydney with me and one in the US. And we report into a director of people and operations. So we don't split the role geographically necessarily, but that tends to be how mostly how it flows. So I tend to look after most roles in Australia with some in the US. We brought someone in, gosh, a year and a, a bit ago now in the US, and he has gracefully taken over a lot of the European roles, which has been just absolutely fantastic because they've got a bit of a better crossover in time zones. So he does a lot of Europe. And most recently, we've brought in a chap in Sydney who focuses mostly on the technical recruitment, so product and engineering. I mean, that makes loads of sense, right? And I think... One of the reasons we were so excited to speak to you was just because I think lots of organizations now are starting to recruit far more internationally, right? I think lots of people had, well, lots of organizations had offices in different locations historically, but even those now that don't are starting to recruit remote for the first time, maybe they're staying within their time zone, maybe they're not. And I think it's unlocking like huge challenges for people that haven't thought about the differences in employee experience or employee expectation kind of location to location or country to country. And they haven't thought about how they can kind of translate their EVP or frame their EVP around a remote workforce and a distributed team. And I think you guys seem to have a bit of both, right? You've got physical office presences, but also now a distributed team kind of smattered around a bunch of different places. How have you thought about like communicating your EVP and, and defining that sort of in a world where everybody's going to perceive things very differently? Yeah, it's interesting that there's definitely different attractors and detractors depending on where you are in the world. I think it was a big learning curve for us, for each of them. So I unfortunately wasn't around for when we expanded to the US, nor was I around for when we expanded to the Philippines. But I know from people that were here that there was a big learning curve on just kind of understanding what people want to hear in a job ad, what people are going to listen to most in an initial screen. And as you know, that initial screen is more about selling the business rather than working out if the candidate's right for you. And so now that we're expanding into a new location in Vietnam, what I've learned is that there's a huge amount of research that goes into it at the beginning to kind of understand, well, one, is this the right location for us? And two, what's appealing to that market? So the way we kind of convey that is we try to make sure that our job ads, for example, are consistent, but they are using the right attractors 
for the right demographic wherever we're advertising and mm-hmm. when we're interviewing people, sort of discussing it, when we're sending LinkedIn reach out messages, whenever we're communicating on any platform with our candidates, we're thinking about where is that candidate based, what things are going to be most attractive to them about our EVP. Mm-hmm. As an example, it's a bit of a generalization, but our team in the Philippines tend to be more introverted. So one of the things that we have discussed with them is, you know, you make sure they know that they can be themselves at Propeller. You can come and be your total self. You're allowed to disagree with the boss. It's okay if you think they've got a dumb idea and you can say that. Um, And we really want to bring that to the table for them and make them feel comfortable with that. So it's just kind of been about learning, understanding. The more you speak to people, you get a better feel for what's attractive to them. And then you make sure you're creating that and you know how to articulate that you have that on offer in the business. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? And I think like, great that you guys are doing the research as a TA team and thinking about positioning your EVP and like those early conversations focused on selling the organization, right? Are you kind of transcending that further down the team? Like when you're arming your hiring managers with information, when they're meeting with folks and they're kind of interviewing them or doing what they're doing, how are you making sure that they're kind of tailoring their recruitment process to reflect that? We definitely want to, like we spend a lot of time with our hiring managers at the beginning of a role. So we have something, we call it a hiring strategy. I think in my last company, I called them role discoveries. It's basically just, you get your hiring manager and you chain them to a desk, find out everything you can about the role, what's good about it, what's bad about it. Why does someone want to come in to this role? And you kind of use that meeting as an opportunity to, one, understand what profile you're looking for as a TA, but then use it as use it as a bit of a coaching opportunity to talk a hiring manager through like, this is how we attract great talent. These are good questions to ask. And Mm -hmm. if it's a fresh manager, it might even be an opportunity to do some like EEO stuff, explain to them what is and isn't okay to ask in an interview, especially with us, we've got loads of first time managers. And so just giving them that opportunity to understand my colleague that recruits the tech roles at the moment he's doing this brilliant project where he's helping our dev leaders spruce up their LinkedIn profiles because we know that candidates look at those now they like they want to look at oh well, I'm going to report into Tom what's his LinkedIn like does he look like a fun guy what is he saying about the business and so yeah my colleague's got this project together where he's helping people to do that and, and we know that's going to help attract candidates when they're researching propeller as a potential employer Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think we have a thing, a pinpoint called a hiring manager profile, right? Because we see loads and loads and loads of organizations with similar challenges, right? Their hiring managers or sort of the actual end reporting line for the role don't have particularly prominent online presences. And it's difficult for candidates to kind of get under the hood of who they're going to be working with and what that experience is going to be looking like. So we try and embed it in the product. And I think the reason I mentioned that is organizations that are using hiring manager profiles are getting like a 59% higher conversion rate than those that aren't because they're making it easy for candidates to do that discovery, right? And so amazing that you've got that internal project happening because we can see in the data that it makes a huge difference and candidates obviously doing more research than ever before. And I think it's been great looking at not just Propeller, but kind of going back through your your past and looking at career sites and things like that that you've worked on and that you've done. And it's clear how you're kind of crafting that narrative but also super cognizant of the fact that candidates are doing their own research and you're like throwing glass door out there and making it clear that we're not hiding behind this stuff, right? And that's that's awesome to see. So you talked about like 
your EVP and positioning, and you've touched on how you're kind of working through things with your hiring managers. When we were speaking before, you talked a little bit about values and how those are super important to Propeller where you are now and that you've kind of recently gone through a process there. How are you sort of bringing those values into your recruitment process? How important are they? And how are you helping your hiring managers kind of measure values when they're going through that recruitment process? Yeah, so values are super important. And what I've, I'm so happy that I got to be here when they were created because it's really nice to see that they haven't changed. We just gave them names. We're still looking for the same kind of traits in an individual. We just now have, we're committed. We're not I, we're open. We, we have our values that we can list on our website, but ultimately we're still looking for the same person. And so the way we've kind of articulated that is in a scorecard on a, a hiring sheet. So when a candidate goes through the process with us, they have this document and we kind of track all the conversations we have and, and each stage of the interview process has a scorecard. So each person that interacts with the candidate, hiring manager, peer, stakeholder, whoever, they have an opportunity to score them on not just their skills, like their ability to code or their ability to be a digital marketer, but how their values align with the business. So myself and my peers in talent, we try to come up with particular values-based interview questions. So questions that we can ask that we feel is going to pull out somebody's alignment or disalignment with our values. And then that gets kind of scored. And then, you know, if it comes down to it at the end of the process, we're tossing up between two, gut feels pulling you one way, you appear the other, then we've got some data that we can say, well, this person stage on stage has performed better than the other. And so that kind of helps us to make a decision. That makes perfect sense. I think when you've got all of these candidates coming in from different places, right? And obviously in this instance, you have some office locations and you have some non-office locations. Like what does your sourcing strategy look like in terms of like recruiting internationally? Have you got like a completely different approach depending on the location you're trying to fill a role in or is it driven predominantly by the role and you'll take a candidate anywhere? Like how do you think about that? I think we have some things that are just standard every recruiter in every business does. We always throw ads up. All of our jobs are always available on our website. We put a few roles up on LinkedIn. Um, We do lots of passive candidate approaching on LinkedIn, particular job boards that are relevant to that field, some digital marketing sites, for example, we've posted on before, some localized ones like Built in Colorado were on there. Glassdoor has been a big one for us as well in the past. In terms of how they sort of differ location to location, I think probably the one that's been the biggest difference would maybe be our Philippines team. We have so many staff referrals. It's unreal. I love a staff referral. The the feeling mm-hmm. when you offer someone so and you can go back to their friend and say, mate, we just offered so-and-so, can't wait for them to start working, is mm-hmm. the best. And that's something we encourage across the business, but we just happen to have really great results in the Philippines. So I think maybe that one kind of stands out a little bit, but I would say strategy is pretty consistent in each of the the locations that we recruit. Makes sense. I mean, is there, so like the staff referrals example is an awesome one, right? And like, we all love that for all of the reasons everybody already understands. I think like, is there anything that you've done as you've like recruited in different territories or into a different type of role or a different type of cohort where you kind of learn a lesson from doing that like staff referrals in Philippines and then potentially trying to push that more heavily through the rest of the organization? I guess maybe another one where we've learned, not necessarily in one location and then it's worked in others, but 
something we've benefited from a lot recently is tidying up our database so that we can reach back out to people and make a quick hire. So a role in the US, for example, we just filled was a database person who just missed out last round. That individual had applied. We had just finished the role, great profile, but we we couldn't just willy-nilly hire an extra person because we found someone. We had to wait for another vacancy. And so, but that was perfect. I happened to just remember that person. So that was quick and easy. But what we've done is we've tidied up our database. So it's really easy to go back and find people. And that has benefited us in every location. It's happening again in Europe right now. My colleague's looking after a role. It's someone we spoke to many moons ago for a different role. And he's now speaking to them for something else. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably something that it wasn't intentionally done in one location. It just happened to be something that we've gotten better at lately. And let me tell you, candidates bloody love it. When you say, I remember speaking to you and you meant it when you said you would keep them in mind, like it's such a throwaway comment. Oh, sorry, Tom, mm-hmm. maybe next time I'll keep you in mind. I'll keep you in the database. Anyone can say that. When you genuinely mean it, candidates really appreciate it. For sure, right? Like we, we, we really like try and encourage everybody we work with to try and shift from like reactive recruitment to proactive recruitment. And that might mean some sourcing, that might mean building a talent pipeline, it might be an ongoing communication. I think like, how are you managing that database, right? Like, is it, is it in your ATS? Have you got a third party? Is it a spreadsheet? Like, what does that look like process-wise for you guys? It's in our ATS. So we spent a bunch of time just like setting up a fake job that the ATS we use, we've got like funnels where sort of you take people through a process. We've just set up a fake one, but with different jobs that someone would be appropriate to. So if we had a role available for CEO, you were the second best, I'd put you in CEO. And then next time we had that position, I'd give you a call and say, hey, remember this chat we had? Do you happen to be available? And sometimes the person's just picked up another role and it's bad luck, but it's still a good relationship that you're continuing to maintain. And it's something that we share because it's on our ATS. All three of us have access to it and our ATS allows us to like tag each other. So we can do that as reminders or whatever. And it's just meant that it's much easier to find people when the time comes. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And great to hear. That's, that's the thing. Like we speak to people sometimes that will kind of make up excuses for why they're not doing things, right? Like you, you've said there, basically your ATS is great, doesn't necessarily have a dedicated talent pipeline, but you've just made it work by creating a job and sort of segmenting the funnel in different ways, right? That's amazing. Like there's no reason you can't manage all of this stuff. And so people have to understand that they can find ways to kind of shoehorn things in and deliver like actual value. And I think that that, that makes a load of sense. I think longer term, do you have any plans to... So as, as you're starting to build the database of people, are you planning on kind of marketing to them or kind of keeping them aware of what you guys are doing more proactively or is it mainly there just for you to kind of search through for new roles as they pop up? I actually haven't given it much thought to to reaching back out to them. I know what you mean though and, and I've done that in the past, like you kind of candidate care stuff. You might flick them all an email saying, hey, these are this is what's happening here or give them updates and things like that. I've, it's not something that we've really discussed, probably should, but it's not on the map at the moment to work on that at the moment it's more of a tool to search through when we've got a particular need talk to me a little bit about the team right so like we talk a lot about how you're kind of crafting the evp and how you're crafting the positioning in the market and how you're going out to talent and sort of shaping that evp and that experience as you go to different locations and roles and things like that i think 
like one of the most important hires you're going to be making is your own talent acquisition team, right? And they're like the front of the business. They kind of represent the brand in the same way that sales do to prospects. How do you think about building that team? And what is it about your current environment and environments you've been in in the past that have kind of made the environment attractive to talent acquisition people? So talent people are funny because in a recruitment process, we will be your biggest critic, but also your biggest supporter. We're going to be most understanding if your hiring manager cancels last minute or I don't know, something, things that we know, gosh, I've been there. That's awkward. And we'll be the most understanding, but also we can be the most critical if the process is poor. And my best friend at the moment is going through a job hunt and she's had people not get back to her, give really crappy feedback, not detailed. And as a TA person, it just kind of scars you from that brand. And so I think that's one of the things that we do to make ourselves attractive to other TA people is we give them a really great experience. We're warm and inviting. We introduce you to loads of people. We all laugh now about how long the recruitment process is. And, and we know at Propeller, it, it, we do put people through the ringer a little bit. And the three of us now kind of, we can all look back and laugh at that. But at the time, it's like, it's so important to meet lots of different people in the business. And what we, I guess, what our candidates are seeing, what our TA candidates are seeing is a consistent message about the business and consistently warm and inviting people that are knowledgeable saying the same things about the business. So I think that's kind of how we attracted two such amazing talent individuals is by showing them that they're joining a good process, that they have the opportunity to improve on. They're not coming into a, a mess. So you talked just briefly, like you just threw this in, right? But you said that you guys at Propeller put people through the ringer a bit in terms of your recruitment process. Can you kind of walk us through like what that looks like? Because I'm sure you had a hand in shaping that, right? Like why does it look the way it looks and, and how has that been useful for you guys? The way I describe it to a candidate, because sometimes a candidate will, a candidates will often ask, oh, how long's the process? Or oh, how many steps to go? And so what I say to candidates yeah. is by the time you get through to the end process, if we've done our job right, you will be 100% sure that Propeller is the place that you want to be. And we will be 100% sure that you are the right fit for us. And that's the aim out of the process being as long as it is. So we start off with our pitch, if you like, from talent. We're doing a check for some basic skill sets, you know, can you do the core essence of the role? But ultimately, like, this is Propeller and we're so great and, like, these are all the things. And we're doing the sell, an introduction to the hiring manager, some technical, either a technical assessment or whiteboard session, something to kind of show off what they can do with a technical interview to follow and then kind of a final HR interview. So it's like a four-step plus a take-home challenge of sorts for nearly every single role. And we like that to be consistent for each position and it works. It means that you meet a bunch of people. For senior leaders, it's like a 10-step process. By the time you factor in all of the coffee catch-ups and meet and greets and things like that, but you know, if you're bringing in a leader, I think in any business, and this has been any business I've worked in and I think any that I would if I was to advise any companies for a leadership role, if you don't have someone you can elevate into the role, the people who they're going to lead need to have a say. They've got skin in the game. So they've got to have some input. And so that might lengthen the process, but better to lengthen a process and have your team be sure than lose three juniors because they're not happy with the senior that you hired. So 
yeah, I'd say that, you know, our, our process might be longer than some, but also, yeah, by the time you're through it, you know, and if it comes down to like us and another company, I'd like to think that it's a pretty easy decision because you know what you're getting with us. We try and do that here at Pinpoint, right? Like we spend a lot of the recruitment process almost trying to disqualify ourselves, yeah. which sounds like super counterproductive, right? And I literally had a call yesterday evening with someone who kind of was kind of taken aback by me. Essentially, yes, there's a bit of sell and there's a bit of positioning around why you might want to work here. But like we are as keen as anything to make sure that we are super transparent around what the environment looks like, what the expectations are. Because I think from our perspective, you're like, we're excited to meet with world-class people, but the way that we like retain and get real value out of those people is by being like the best opportunity for them. We don't want to misrepresent what we're selling and then have someone come here and be like deflated and underperformant. We want to be like the best stepping stone between where they are now and the thing they want to do post pinpoint. And so we spend a lot of time, like even at the interview stage, trying to understand what they really want, but also what they're going to do if they know after they're with us so that we can make sure we actually have the ability to shape the experience to something that's going to be compelling for them. And I think we're a small business and we often talk with clients and people like yourselves and things about like how we compete in a very competitive market. And I guess like that's the main thing we try and do is just really heavily personalize the experience. And I think one of the things we've struggled with because the nature of our business and what we do, people here, even in sort of non-recruitment roles tend to kind of get it. But like something I'm really interested in understanding from you both where you are now and also in previous roles is like, how have you educated your hiring managers and your kind of tangential people in the recruitment process to really police the quality bar and like push back more heavily and like wait and look for perfect rather than just put a bum on a seat? How do you think about that educational mm. process? Where I worked before, we had leadership training and a big piece of the leadership training was on recruitment. And so I used to go in and like deliver a couple of slides just kind of on what the recruitment process looks like, why settling doesn't make sense, a bum on the seat isn't going to keep us moving forward and, and all of that. And so yep. a part of it, I think, is drilling that in from the beginning before they even start hiring people. I think it's also just kind of talking to them about what the risks are of bringing in anyone versus, you know, waiting for the right person. But I also think it's understanding the urgency level from the hiring manager, like not just telling them, yeah, we should wait, asking them, you know, what are, what's the urgency level on this role? What is the impact on if you get a so-so person versus the right person? Because often talking through that helps them to kind of understand, well, if you get a so-so person, then these are the risks to the business, to the team. Sorry, that was a bit of a fluffy response. But like you get the hiring managers on board by kind of educating them on you need the right person in the right role at the right time, or it can get a bit haywire if you're just putting anyone in. I'm definitely a big, ad big advocate of that. Like I would rather wait three months like I don't know if the best person said that they had a three-month notice period I don't know I'd rather that than just the person who's available tomorrow who's second best yeah for sure does that kind of answer for that sure. question I feel it's a bit vague and, and I, no no it, it is and look it, it's a difficult question because it's different for everybody right and I think equally I'm not trying to belittle hiring managers some hiring managers push back super strong because they know exactly what they want and they know what that looks like and they're willing to wait and they know what that 
process entails. I think some hiring managers we work with just need bums on seats immediately because they're in a high growth environment and they feel like, hey, we just like we have customers screaming at us and we need problem solved and I need somebody picking the phone up. And like sometimes that education is harder to achieve than other times. And I guess it's just interesting to sort of see where you've been on that spectrum, both now and in previous roles. But it sounds like you're using leadership training like proactively to try and educate people on that recruitment process and then just kind of monitoring it super closely, which makes a load of sense. Yeah. And I think when it's in the situation where the opposite, what you just mentioned there, where they want everything, they want the perfect person, which, you know, we call the unicorn, right? When the unicorn um, doesn't exist, I believe it's our job in talent to at least try. Like if you say that you want someone who has these 10 skills, I don't think it's fair for me to straight up just say, nah, that person doesn't exist. Like I should at least go away and try. So what I tend to do is give myself a measuring point and I say, look, if I'm not, if I haven't moved the needle at all by four weeks, then we enter into something that I call the, like an escalation process. So we escalate the role. We say it's in crisis mode. And that is the point where we start asking the questions like, what have we done? What more can we do? Is the problem salary? Is the problem that it's a unicorn? Is a problem that we haven't put it on LinkedIn yet? Like, why aren't we finding this role? And we kind of go through that with the hiring manager and then if we look at it and we're like, well, damn, like we're doing everything right, maybe it's the role. And so it's at that point you sit the hiring manager down and you say, if you had to let go of one of these selection criteria, what would it be? And then you take that out of the equation, you go to market again. Then if that still doesn't work, you take, you maybe put that back in and you take something else out or you take both out. But it's that kind of you need to give it the urgency of calling it something like a crisis mode or an escalation or something to really illustrate to both of you and to the business that like, I'm not getting anywhere. And if you as a talent person are mm-hmm. throwing everything at it, my old boss used to call it throwing the kitchen sink. If you throw the kitchen sink and nothing's yeah, happening, yeah. something's got to give. And so that's when you need, you really benefit from having a good relationship with your hiring manager because you can genuinely partner with them and find a solution together And I've been, I think, really lucky in my career. I've never had a hiring manager that I felt like I was fighting against. It's always been a partnership. You hit the nail on the head, right? Like it's partnership and collaboration. I think oftentimes when we hear the frustration on either side of that equation in terms of the dynamic even between talent acquisition people and their hiring managers, it's because there's like a lack of trust in the relationship. And I think the hiring manager is like accusing the TA person of not throwing the kitchen sink at the problem and just trying to like defer down to a lower quality person because they aren't willing to hunt for the unicorn. And on the hiring manager side, like the talent acquisition person sometimes thinks they're being unrealistic. But I think if you're communicating and you're showing, hey, we're doing this and these are the results we're getting and this is why that's not working and you need to help us iterate on the process, there's a lot more buy-in and a lot less friction. And I think like where people are doing that well, it's working better for both sides. And also the hiring managers learning as they're going through the process. And hopefully next time you kind of get on the right frame of mind quicker. Yeah, again, makes perfect sense. And I think that's like a super useful takeaway. Just a few more things before we wrap up, right? So like when you're recruiting in these markets, obviously recruiting internationally, different candidate expectations across the board and things like that. Like how do competitors play into the equation for you guys, if at all? Like are you coming up against people interviewing for lots of different opportunities and are you kind of do you have like battle cards or a framework that you're using to help people understand why you guys are the right place to be or what does that look like yeah funnily enough we have we have more competitors vying for candidates than we do for customers 
because the the small yeah, tech sure, industry yeah. is just exploiting right like there are tech businesses Crazy. left right and center and everyone yeah. has cool perks and what I've noticed though in the market recently is people are actually starting to take the piss out of the whole ping pong table vibe I think it was really cool maybe yeah. five years yeah. ago and everyone's like damn I don't have to wear a suit I can play ping pong there's beer now people are like taking the piss they're like I don't just want a ping pong table like I want something more than that and I think how we're doing it may not be perfect. Like we may not be really advocating for our benefits as well as we should, but that's what I think personally we do really well is we're more than just the beers on a Friday. We're a company that offers career opportunities, an opportunity to really make an impact. And I think that's kind of what our competitive edge is, is around our people have the opportunity to really come in, make their mark have a big impact more so than the kind of old school ping pong table attraction thing, which is like working in our favor. I think it's when we talk about the business and because the three recruiters and the hiring team, we all genuinely believe in what we do, what Propeller does and what we do internally. It's that excitement that will nudge you over a competitor and I have candidates and it was the same in my last company as well. I think a talent person really needs to believe in the product. doesn't matter what it is that you're selling, but I believe that every work site should use Propeller. And I still believe that every small business in Australia and New Zealand should use Employsure. I'm a big advocate. I believe genuinely that they are fantastic products. And I think that genuine belief comes through in a conversation. So yeah, we've got some cool benefits and but it's the fact that we're a great place to work and it's an energy that you exude in your initial pitch to a candidate that will push over a competitor that wants the same candidates. One final thing, just kind of a, like a core takeaway before we wrap up. And, and again, thank you so much for, for sharing all of this with us. I think if you put yourself in the shoes of like this fictional company, right? Lots and lots and lots of people we speak to are facing this very challenge right now. They're, they're single market driven. So maybe they're in the US and they're just used to recruiting in the US. Maybe they're in the UK. Maybe they're in Australia. It doesn't really matter. But they're used to recruiting locally. Their approach has been like, we recruit within 30 miles of our office or whatever they've historically done, right? The world has changed. Candidate expectations have changed. And now they're looking further afield. And let's say they're looking internationally. I think with all of the experience that you've had from all of the different roles you've done to date, two questions, right? One What's the biggest challenge that you you expect these people to come up against? Like, what do they kind of not know that they don't know about international recruitment? And the second question is like, what's the big tip to help them be successful in their kind of first foray into this world? So when you say what's the challenge, you mean like that fictional business that you just spoke about who's only recruiting in a 30 mile radius, like what challenge are they going to face? Yeah, what's the, what's the sort of biggest friction they're going to see as they try and take what they're doing now and apply it to international recruitment? The one of the biggest challenges they'll face is you can't cookie cut an exact process or look for exactly the same profile in a different geographical location, but you also don't want to make it too different because you want consistency across the business. I think that's probably a challenge. Mm -hmm. You want consistency to make sure that a salesperson in Japan is, you know, has the same values as the salesperson in Australia and in the US. So you want consistency with what you're looking for in somebody's values, but you 
want to adapt to what's going to be an attractor to that market. That's the challenge is finding the balance. So knowing where to be consistent and stick to your guns and go, well, no, this is who we are. And we want to embrace other cultures and we want to embrace differences and do all of that, but still be true to our own core values whilst, yeah, being open and adapting so that you're attracting people from all different locations and allowing people to feel like they can bring a bit of themselves to the business. We're expanding into Vietnam at the moment and a really cool piece of advice that I got is whilst we we expect people to have really good English skills, right, we could mm-hmm. offer English classes as a benefit. Why don't you offer Vietnamese classes to your Aussies and your US people just to like – amazing. Really a bit of advice. And you know what? Some people might not be keen on that, but like it's just that ability to show that, yeah, we're asking this of our international people, but let's also learn from them as well and take something from from that other location. So that's probably the challenge, I think, is that balance. Look, that's amazing. And, and I think like what, what you're saying is that like you're showing these candidates that you're committed to their market rather than it being an afterthought, right? Like the idea of the Vietnamese lessons for your existing team is is awesome. I think like question two is around what's the big advice for people starting on this journey? So we've kind of identified the problem. And to be honest, you've kind of given them loads of great advice already in your answer to the first question. I think like what one thing I would just dig deeper into, because I think it's really interesting is you talked earlier about how as you're as you're entering new markets, there's loads of research being done about those markets before you start positioning the roles with candidates, before you start those conversations with candidates. And then obviously the real value is iterating on that as you're having those conversations and kind of testing what's landing with those people and, and what's not. If somebody's entering a new market for the first time, like have you got any thoughts or advice for them around where they should be thinking about like researching this stuff, like how they should try and understand what candidates expect in that market before they're talking to them? Before they're talking to the candidates is hard because I reckon that's how we've learned the most is from candidates. And in Vietnam, for example, like I'm asking candidates in the interview, uh, so, you know, it's going to start as work from home because we don't have an office space just yet. What would your preference be? Home, office, hybrid. So there's a few questions like that. I mean, that's a pretty simple one, but like just to kind of give you an idea, I'm asking candidates a bunch of questions that I felt like I couldn't find elsewhere but there are blogs like there's a bunch of tech blogs that I found where people are talking about they've how they've done these sorts of expansions before there are LinkedIn articles depending on your perspective as a TA person you might love or hate agencies but they're a great tool and you can get a lot of insight from agencies in the local area that you're looking to expand to so I would say that that's a really good source of truth as well Also, I think one of the great things about being in talent is we all have the same kinds of challenges. So if someone from, I don't know, Ireland messaged me and said, hey, I've seen you work for a software company in Australia. We're looking at expanding to Sydney. Could we book in a call? And can I ask you a few questions? I'd do it. Um, If I was getting 10 of those a week, probably not. But I think (laughs) Don't be shy to try and expand your network because a talent acquisition person is going to be like the best source of information for you. And most of the time, I reckon they'll give you five minutes of their time or answer a couple of messages as uh, questions over email. So I would say if you're brave enough, reach out to people you have no idea who they are and just say, this is me. This is what I'm doing. You look like you've done it before. How do you feel about a call? And 
I reckon you'd be surprised how many people would be open to having a chat and then you're getting real honest information. That's awesome. And that's so like applicable, right? And I think like you might even build some relationships with some talent acquisition folks that can help you in that market longer term as well. So that's awesome. And I think like that, to be honest, that's a great place to stop. I think there's a useful takeaway there. I think there's been loads of them throughout the conversation. And just thank you so much for your time and for sharing your kind of experience with me and the listeners. Thank you so much, Chantal. Really appreciate it. You are most welcome. Thank you. It was lovely to speak with you. Yeah, no, thanks so much. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this week's episode of The Talent Revolution. I'm your host, Tom. I'd love to continue this conversation and kind of talk through stuff you've learned from Chantal and any advice and any, even if you've got kind of contradictory opinions, would love to hear them and kind of continue that conversation. So connect with me on LinkedIn or drop me a line at tom at pinpointhq.com. Be sure to join us for next week's episode and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.